Welcome everyone to episode 51 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host Matthew, and welcome back from our week off. Today's episode, we go to Wisconsin and we dive into the real-life attempted murder inspired by the Slenderman creepypasta. So let's just jump right into the episode. Everyone sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. On May 31, 2014, in Waukesha of Wisconsin, two 12-year-old girls, Anissa Weir and Morgan Geyser, lured their friend Peyton Lutner into a forest and stabbed her 19 times in an attempt to appease the fictional monster known as Slenderman. Peyton then crawled to a road where she was found and she recovered after six days in the hospital. Anissa and Morgan were found not guilty by mental disease or defect, and they were committed to mental health institutions for sentences of 25 years to life and 40 years to life, respectively. After seven years, Anissa was granted early release, and she will be under supervision until age 37. The stabbing took place in David's Park, a wooded area near Waukesha, Wisconsin, during a game of hide-and-seek on May 31, 2014. The perpetrators, Anissa and Morgan, pinned down Peyton and stabbed her 19 times in the arms, legs, and torso with a 5-inch long blade. Two wounds were to major organs. One missed a major artery of her heart by less than a millimeter, and another went through her diaphragm, cutting into her liver and stomach. Weir and Geyser told Peyton to lie down while they would find help, but they did not get any upon leaving. Afterwards, Peyton dragged herself to a nearby road where she was found by a cyclist. The cyclist called 911 when he found her. Around five hours later, Anissa and Morgan were apprehended near Interstate 94 at a furniture store after walking almost five miles. The knife that was used in the stabbing was in a bag that they carried. Their goal was to meet Slenderman at his mansion called Slender Mansion in the Nicollet National Forest, 
roughly a 100 to 103 hour hike from their location. During their interviews, Geyser was described as feeling no empathy, while Weir was described as feeling guilty for stabbing the victim, but both felt that the attack was needed to appease Slenderman. Lutner left the hospital seven days after the attack, and she returned to school in September of 2014. While growing up, Morgan experienced many hallucinations, such as ghosts, colors melting down walls, and imaginary friends, one named Maggie and another Seth. One hallucination that occurred often was a man named Geyser, named It, whose body was the color of smoke and ink that stood behind her in mirrors or shifted around corners similar to that of Slenderman. After the arrest, Morgan's mother, Angie, stated that she became floridly psychotic. Correctional officers saw Morgan talking to herself often, pretending to be a cat and keeping ants as pets. She saw unicorns as well as had continual conversations with Slenderman and other fictional characters such as Severus Snape. In the fall of 2014, Morgan was moved to the Winnebago Mental Health Institute to determine if she would be competent enough to stand trial. They diagnosed her on October 22, 2014 with early onset childhood schizophrenia. However, instead of treatment and medication, they focused on explaining the law to her to prepare her for trial. Nearly half a year later, Morgan was found competent enough to stand trial. Morgan's schizophrenia was continually left untreated for 19 months, leading her to remain in a state of psychosis or out of touch with reality. In December, she was sent back to Winnebago and given antipsychotics, which later allowed her to feel remorse after clearing her mind. On March 23, 2016, Morgan was sent back to jail with the medication where she rapidly deteriorated. However, after a suicide attempt, she was transferred back to Winnebago. Following the investigation, Morgan was charged with attempted first-degree homicide, a Class A felony, and Anissa was charged with attempted second-degree homicide, a Class B felony. Due to the nature of the offenses, both Anissa and Morgan were waived out of juvenile court to be tried as adults. In 2017, Anissa pled guilty to being a party to attempted second-degree homicide. A jury then found her not guilty by mental disease or defect. Morgan accepted a plea offer under which she would not go to trial and she would be evaluated by psychiatrists to determine how long she would be placed in a mental hospital. She later pled guilty, but was found not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect, and was diagnosed with schizophrenia, from which her father also suffers. Anissa was sentenced to 25 years to life, and in, inter, me, excuse me, indeterminate sentence involving at least three years locked confinement and involuntary treatment in a state psychiatric institute. 
followed by communal supervision until the age of 37. Morgan was given the maximum sentence, 40 years to life, an indeterminate sentence involving at least three years locked confinement, in addition to involuntary treatment in a state psychiatric institute until complete resolution of symptoms or until age 53, whichever may happen first, followed by continued communal supervision, periodic re-evaluations and or reinstitution, and further treatment as needed, as required by the sentence imposed. While Morgan will periodically have the opportunity to petition for her release from a mental health facility in the future, she will remain under institutional care for the duration of the sentence. During her trial, she had been committed to the Winnebago Mental Health Institute, and she was the youngest patient there. At a court hearing on March 10, 2021, Anissa, who was by then 19, submitted a letter to the court stating that she was sorry and deeply regretful for the agony, pain, and fear I have caused, not just to Peyton, but to my community as well. She stated that, I hate my actions from May 31, 2014, but through countless hours of therapy, I no longer hate myself for them. On July 20, July 1, 2021, Waukesha County Judge Michael Boren ordered her released from the Winnebago Mental Health Institute, gave state officials 60 days to draw up a conditional release plan, and required that she be assigned State Department of Health Services case managers to track her progress until she's 37 years old, the length of her commitment. On September 13, 2021, Anissa was released with multiple stipulations to include 24-hour GPS monitoring requiring her to not leave Waukesha County without permission. She will also have her internet usage monitored and will not be allowed to use any forms of social media. She will also be required to take medication and will be personally escorted to regular counseling sessions by a caseworker. She will also be required to live with her father during her probation. In the aftermath of the stabbing, the Creepypasta Wiki was blocked throughout the Waukesha School District. On the Tuesday following the stabbing, Slenderman creator Eric Knusten said, I am deeply saddened by the tragedy in Wisconsin, and my heart goes out to the families of those affected by this terrible act. Slosh Train, the administrator of the Creepypasta Wiki, said that the stabbing was an isolated incident that did not accurately represent the Creepypasta community. He also stated that the Creepypasta Wiki was a literary website and they didn't, that they did not condone murder or satanic rituals. Members of the Creepypasta community held a 24-hour live stream on YouTube on June 13th to 14th of 2014 to raise money for the stabbing victim. Joe Jaswowski, an administrator on a Creepypasta website, said that the purpose of the stream was to show that members of the community cared for the victim and did not condone real-world violence, 
because they enjoyed fiction that contains violence. On August 12th, Governor Scott Walker issued a proclamation declaring Wednesday, August 13th, 2014, Purple Hearts for Healing Day and encouraged the people of Wisconsin to wear purple on that day to honor the victim of the stabbing. He also praised the strength and determination exhibited by Peyton during her recovery. The city of Madison, Wisconsin held a one-day Bratwurst Festival to honor Peyton on August 29th, several days before the victim returned to school. Hot dogs and bratwurst were sold to raise money towards the victim's medical costs. The event was run by over 250 volunteers and raised over $75,000 for Peyton. This is another one of those stories that if someone could have just gotten the mental health help that they needed, they could be living a completely different life right now. I'm glad that Peyton lived, and I hope that she was able to move past this horrible traumatic event. Now, our next story comes from my favorite website, yourghoststories.com. I've never been one to be too afraid to tell people my stories. Seeing paranormal activity runs in my family as much as some of us don't like it. Wasn't sure what story I'd like to start with, but here's this one. It comes from my time on Keesler AFB in Biloxi, Mississippi. A friend of mine got fascinated by my apparent ability to provoke such activity. Just being around an area with a potential haunting being enough to wake something. He wanted to take me out to the local graveyard at night to do some ghost hunting, primarily because his last attempt had turned up nothing. I finally agreed to go after a month of asking, and we left that night for the graveyard. We were joined by another friend of ours as we went on our way. As we got to the graveyard, it was already after dusk, leaving just a few lampposts lit. We walked mostly in the dark, as he didn't want to ruin it with the flashlight. Anytime our hair raised, we felt something off or thought we saw something, he would snap a picture. Of these feelings, we felt more profoundly an unwelcoming presence further in the dark, as if we were encroaching far enough as is, leading us to turn back around toward the gate on the other side. As we stood under the lamppost, my camera-wielding friend and I practically shivered at the same time. Our third friend said that he didn't feel anything, but we shared a look and snapped a picture of him. He was confused as to why we took his picture, but his face in the picture was red with fury. We took some precautions at that point, attempting to ward away what might be there. My camera friend shivered vigorously and glared over his shoulder while I got the same shiver shortly after. We made to leave that side of the graveyard, and a short time after the lamppost went out. We made for the other side of the graveyard, which lay across the road. On that side, we found a grave that appeared to have been dug into and the cement casing broken. There was an immense 
melancholy in it while in its proximity. I told him not to take a picture there. As we made our way across, the other half of this side was accessible by passing under a massive tree. The darkness cast underneath the tree was so thick and foreboding, none of us dared to cross under it. We left the other half of the graveyard and made our way back to the dormitory via the late night gate. As we, lock, as we walked along the road, I got the feeling of being followed. Turning around, it seemed I was right. Three streetlights back, a light would flicker out and back on, always three lights back. We made turns and cross streets, and still, that singular light would go out and then the next. Even after we got back onto the base, it continued to follow our exact path. When we got into the dormitory, we went our separate ways for the evening. I looked out of my window on a discon disconcerting feeling and saw the light outside flicker out. For an hour, the light remained out before finally flickering back on. Meeting up again the following day, we went over the photos. The photos contained a handful of spirit orbs, an old woman knelt before a gravestone, a pair of men standing where we weren't allowed further, and the aforementioned photo we looked at prior. Needless to say, after being followed, I refused any further excursions. In later months, I witnessed a man in fatigue step up to my wall locker before fading into nothing. Only other thing to come of that was an admittedly bad idea now. My friends came to my room to see if we could get that spirit's attention. Being amateur at best, we shouldn't have, but curiosity does what it will. For a brief moment during the impromptu, impromptu seance, my camera friend's expression became aggressive before saying a single phrase in a growling tone. I have to live with. We snapped him out of it as quickly as we could, and that too became forbidden. Looking back, I am more than willing to say, we played with fire and got lucky. Today, I'm much more cautious when dealing with these events. I've got one more story for you guys today, and it's about a possible demon in the house. Let me start off with saying, I don't believe every single time you see something, it's automatically a demon. This is the one time I may disregard that statement. I've seen this thing many times. Gladly, it has stopped appearing. The first time I ever saw it, was when I was five. We had just built an upstairs, more of a frame than anything. My mother and I were folding clothes and taking out clothes to hang. For some reason, I can't remember my mom went outside to hang clothes and I stayed behind. 
I started to go out, but before I could even go outside the doorframe, I looked at the room next to mine. Underneath the bed was a pair of red eyes. I hid behind the way, occasionally peeking out to look. I had thought about running out as fast as I could. I had a horrible feeling that it would grab me. I ended up screaming and bawling for my mother to get me. A little deep detail about the room. It was my second brother's and my father's bedroom. Like the rest of the house, it was pure concrete. It had no windows because it was in a hill. The first time I saw it with a group of cousins, we were at least eight or nine at the time. We joked around, telling ghost stories and such, making up our own versions of Bloody Mary. At some point, my first cousin brought up a story that these old deer horns would light up with red eyes on each point. I went along trying to scare my city cousins. We told them to say red antlers ten times in a row. They did, and we all went back to the room where they hung. Instead of us screaming trying to scare them, it actually worked. The eyes turned to us. We all freaked out, pushing and shoving each other out of the way and left the basement alone from, from the rest of the week. The second time, it was seen with my friend. We were about 12 at the time. We went down into the basement to get ice cream. Before I had even gotten to the, th the third to last step, my friend screamed and pushed past me. Being a fraidy cat, I ran right after her. She ran outside crying. I kept asking what happened. Finally, at some point she told me that a black shadow with red eyes floated from one side of the house to the other. Needless to say, we didn't get ice cream for the rest of that day. The last time that I saw it at my old house was with another friend. We were 13 or 14. Being extremely childish, we went outside in long flowing dresses pretending to be vampires. At some point, I looked into the sky. The moon was out, but it wasn't the brightest. I saw what seemed to be the outline of a person crouching on the highest point of the roof, just watching us. I quietly asked if she had seen what I was. As a dumb response, she answered, The person on the roof? We both ended up screaming and running inside. I told her about a white ribbon that I had found lying directly outside of my door the day before. In some weird twist, we decided that, that was the reason why we seen it. Then we promptly smeared our blood on it and cut it in half. Why did we use our blood? We share sacred. We, we were scared, and somehow this seemed as a good idea. I have moved to live with my mom. I told her about it, and all she has said is, it's your father's karma manifesting, or something close to that. Yet I have seen it here, though it doesn't scare me like it used to. It doesn't have red eyes anymore, either. Well, that is going to do it for today's episode. 
If you could, please rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. A five-star rating really helps others to find us. Also, come join us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. If you do enjoy the podcast, please consider helping to support the show through Patreon, with monthly bonus episodes starting from the $5 tier. Once again, thank you everyone for listening, and make sure to keep those doors and windows locked, and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved.